Welcome to the Passionate Photographer Podcast with Steve Simon and Steve Attard. Hey everyone, welcome to a brand new edition of the Passionate Photographer Podcast. My name is Steve Simon and I'm with the other Steve, Steve Attard. Hey everyone. Hey Steve, how are things? I'm doing pretty good. It's been a busy week, but I'm uh, I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, everything is good here. Although, um, as maybe a lot of our listeners know, it was a bit of a sad week in photography. We lost uh, a couple of you know giants of photography, particularly uh, probably the the most well known photographer who passed away, uh, Robert Frank. Um, you heard you heard about this, did you not? Yeah, right. What a week. Um, Robert Frank and um, in Vancouver here, Fred Herzog. Um, but I thought of you as soon as I saw the news because I know that Robert Frank was a huge inspiration for you. Yeah, for me and for so many photographers. I mean, you know, Robert Frank had a long career as an artist, filmmaker, photographer, but likely he'll be best uh, known and remembered uh, for his book, uh, The Americans, which really inspired a, a whole you know, generation and generations after that book came out uh, in the late 50s and early 60s uh, in, in um, the United States. And uh, yeah, it was kind of, uh, you know, he's, he's probably, he's hugely influential in, in photography. Uh, street shooters, um, you know, I think uh, were inspired by him, as was I. Um, the Americans, uh, I mean, when it first came out, it, it wasn't even uh, printed in the United States, even it was called, mm. it was the Americans, it was Les Americains, the French published it first. And when it came out in the United States, it did not receive a lot of uh, favor favorable reviews. Yeah, and it's interesting to see that within the context of what we have here and now today, uh, where it's so easy to publish anything. But to see in such a short amount of time, in a single lifetime, where the whole genre kind of came from and, and developed. And I know you spoke about you speak about the Americans in your workshop quite a bit. Um, what do you think was the influence of that piece of work on street photography and where we are today? Yeah, I mean, I think that when you look at the body of work, and remember, you know, he, he photographed over a couple of years. Uh, he photographed, I believe, around 27,000 frames, which, uh, you know, back in the day of film, that was a considerable amount. Uh, he was sort of the fly on the wall. Uh, he, he did not want to um, interact with his subjects. He wanted to sort of, you know, look and capture kind of what he saw. And I think that, um, uh, you know, because his images were not always, um, uh, you know, F11 and perfect focus, and because his focus was not on you know, necessarily capture, capturing the beauty of the, of the American uh, sort of urbanscape and landscape. And he was coming from an outsider's perspective. He was really taking a, his personal kind of uh, reality-driven view of what was going on. And, you know, the pictures were not always pretty, but they often were very, very powerful in terms of what they, um, what they communicated. Uh, it was a different kind of America that you know, than mm. people were used to seeing. And I think, you know, part of the impact came 
because the time, you know, you know, before television, I mean, now um, image imagery is so, so common, but, you know, back in the day, photography had even more power because that's how a lot of people uh, saw, saw the world, um, you know, on a more uh, sort of regular basis through photojournalism. Um, sure, there were, there were movies, etc. But, you know, the, the impact that a lot of photographers had before television was, was, was powerful. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on, on that particular project, Steve? Yeah, I think the Americans was the Americans broke all the rules at the time, and there were many rules back then, and I think there are still many rules now. But it really goes to show that if you talk about what makes the greats great, it's it's really the people who just break out of the conventional wisdom and present you something that's not just fresh because it's different, but it's so deeply groundbreaking that it's stands the test of time and it becomes this you know historic piece of work so when we reflect on our own work and our own street photography for me the main influence from robert frank and i can say the same for fred herzog but these people these photographers is um you come to a point in society and in photography where there are a set of rules and but you're you don't need to just accept them you can question them and you can go out and do things your own way um and, and it's incredibly challenging it must have been incredibly challenging for robert frank to do this so um the power of resiliency to be able to do something like this is a kind of key lesson yeah i mean no question you bring up uh the the fact that you know today obviously uh, and we've talked about this before uh, there are so many photographers, everyone's a photographer, and and how to separate yourself from the pack. And, you know, people like Robert Frank, and we'll talk about uh, Fred Herzog in a minute, um, really sort of uh, did not, you know, follow anyone but themselves in terms of, uh, uh, you know, communicating something personal from the world around them. And, and that immediately kind of will give you the... Um, Will separate you from everybody else, and it's it's a it's a good lesson. Uh, I think it's I think you know the Americans and Robert Frank has been emulated, uh, you know, and and uh, in in over and over again because uh, you know it deals with uh, real life, and and the fact is that uh, you know the issues that he focused his camera on um, still exist today. And it's okay to have sort of a fresh new take on things, a reimagining, uh, if you will, on on what he did. And I think that's going to continue on. But as you mentioned, I mean, at the time, it was really um, something that people hadn't seen before. Um, and then Fred Herzog, who, uh, as you know, uh, Vancouver photographer to your new adopted town, I mean, he shot for, you know, 40 years in, in relative obscurity, really just for the joy of photography. I mean, I think we all can relate to that, you know, why we do this. It's just that, uh, you know, I think he was about 76 years old when, um, you know, his work came to light. It was an exhibition at the Vancouver Art Gallery. And from that uh, sort of jumping off point, he found kind of world fame and recognition uh, well-deserved. But he didn't do it for that, as we know. He did it purely for, you know, his own um, uh, joy of using photography as a way to communicate uh, uh, something that he wanted to say. 
Yes, and that's that's there are so many lessons in uh, the way Fred Herzog went about this that that we can we can gain, right? I think uh, not only the fact that he was seventy six years old when the Vancouver Art Gallery first uh, showed his work after so many decades and it absolutely exploded, um, but also the fact that he he just took pictures of his neighborhood and. It was, it was, I wouldn't say only, but what I find really interesting is that how the passage of time had an impact on the value of his work. Um, not to discredit his work in any way, but that's an incredible lesson for us photographers, because sometimes we, we only look for something that's sensational, something that's difficult to photograph. Um, but really on our doorstep every day, there's something as good as what Fred Herzog was capturing in his time, right? And yeah, yeah. yes, there's, there's a question of how you do it. And what I am incredibly passionate about what Herzog did is the simplicity of telling such a complex story in the way that he picked out those details and gestures and uh, and through the detail told a story of a city of a time and when he he shot when this work was seen people started crying because they saw a life and a city that had changed so much and that's constantly changing but without the photographer just going out and capturing those moments, capturing that city without thinking too much about it, 40 years later, there wouldn't have been this effect and this impact. So it's a responsibility on all of us to go out and do that without thinking too much, um, but without also knowing what we're shooting might transpire into. Yeah, and and I think you know part of the power that you talk about with his work um, probably comes from the fact that he was really one of the early adopters of color work in terms of a serious pursuit in photography. Because if you go back to the 50s and 60s when he was shooting, um, yes, there was some great color photography out there uh, in terms of uh, the the films that you can use, and of course Kodachrome people were pursuing, but if you were to look at the photographic press of the day and all the successful photographers, uh, you would, like so many others, um, opt for black and white because that was sort of the serious uh, medium for uh, art photographers, uh, you know, expressing what they they have to say. And um, you know, at the time, if you look back at uh, you know Mr. Herzog's actual process, I mean, the early Kodachrome films. You know, ASA 10, ASA 25, that's ISO for those that uh, aren't, uh, you know, that old, um, mean, meant that, especially in Vancouver, I don't have to tell you, shooting in, in sort of rainy Vancouver, the light is not all that bright uh, during the brightest part of the day, um, meant that, you know, it was it was difficult to do a lot of the time. It was just one more challenge. But I think part of the the clarity and power of the work is to see a city, um, you know, alive in full color uh, from so long ago. And, and that, you know, again, was, uh, you know, this is what he did. He did it for, you know, really nobody else, you know, but himself. I, I don't think that necessarily he was, you know, 
you know, didn't want any recognition, but he was just, he had a full-time job. He was a photographer, a medical photographer at a hospital at the university. And, and that was his, his day gig, but his passion obviously is reflected. And, you know, we've talked before finding that passion project or just going out there and shooting, 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 um, you're going to accumulate and learn and, and eventually have a body of work that, uh, you know, you're going to get better at it and, and you'll be ready for prime time, uh, perhaps someday, uh, the way Mr. Herzog uh, was. And I'm really happy that he mm. did get this recognition um, with plenty of time left in his life to spare because that was at 76 and he passed away this week at 88. Yeah, so really uh, so many lessons to take from uh, from these photographers. I think we never know what the future holds, right? I think Herzog shot for many, many years on his Kodachrome slide film. And for me, this is a question about evolving technology too, right? But it wasn't until recently that he the technology advanced, so to speak, that allowed him to make the right kind of prints out of this film. That the technology that wasn't even available when he was shooting on that film, right? So yeah. we we don't know what the future is going to hold. We can't overthink this. We just need to do our job as street photographers and and take street photographs. Um, and we cannot overthink that. We you know that's what we need to be doing. And God knows what an interesting and exciting future um, this may hold. Yeah. And just as a, a bit of a technical aside that we can take from uh, Mr. Herzog's uh, arc of his career, uh, you know, those Kodachrome originals, uh, you know, could not be surpassed in terms of, uh, you know, color and tonal quality and, you know, grain and all that stuff. And I think a lot of us as photographers, we're shooting raw. We understand the power of it. But the beauty of raw photography is that we can take our raw files from 20 years ago and breathe new life in, into them, you know, with the current uh, software uh, processing like Lightroom, et cetera. Um, and, you know, JPEGs are somewhat limited. You know, everything's baked in, so you're not going to have the flexibility. So if you're a holdout to RAW, uh, you really should consider making the move. Um, let's turn now, speaking of technology, let's turn now to uh, a couple of uh, news items. Uh, one of them, you know, I'm a Nikon shooter. I know you are too. It's just a tool, but Nikon announced uh, the D6 is coming. And, you know, that was a pretty anticlimactic announcement. We, we expected a new flagship camera from Nikon. Um, unfortunately, there is really zero information. There was an image, and it made it look like uh, the D5 of old, it, it had the same platform. I was kind of expecting the move to mirrorless, um, but it looks as though uh, the DSLR is is there. Um, any reaction from you, Steve? I'm really surprised, yeah, because I was following this based on your kind of, uh, you know, development too along the mirrorless lines. Um, it's interesting. I wonder if they have more information than we do. I wonder if it's reflective of, hey, did the mirrorless not take off as, as strongly as as uh, would have merited then a, a bigger shift? Um, you know, and are their DSLR sales still so strong? Um, I wonder if that's an indication. But yeah, what? I, so you've, you've been really using the mirrorless almost exclusively. Is that correct? Yeah, I, you know, of course I have my, my Nikon DSLRs. I recently sold my D5 at a huge loss. 
um, in anticipation of maybe replacing it because I'm an early adopter and I don't like I like to part with my money um, and I'll never be rich because of uh, my my bad habits uh, of Nikon gear. But I, it sort of makes sense. You got to sort of figure out in the digital age, um, you know, the timing in terms of getting rid of stuff because you know you're going to want to uh, you're planning on getting something new from a professional photographer's perspective you sometimes need to to keep up to date um, but yeah i love the mirrorless system it's got a lot of advantages and the adaptation to it um, uh, has taught me a lot in terms of being able to kind of slow down and use it in its best possible light and when i've uh, what i've kind of appreciated is that though the camera is not necessarily does not necessarily feel in terms of its use like the DSLR it, it almost at first felt it was slowing me down I realized that it's it hasn't really slowed me down it's it's fast the focus is fast using it's fast it's quieter and all that stuff and I just thought that maybe with the Olympics in 2020 it's always a showcase for Japanese camera manufacturers to to kind of come out with new stuff that maybe we'd see kind of uh, an entree into a new era. So, you know, the, the conventional uh, chatter is that, uh, yeah, the, the mirrorless is moving forward. It's the way to go. The DSLR, the days are limited. Um, but you're right. I, I, you know, these companies are, are smart. They, they have to, to, to stay in business. And, you know, they have information that, that the, the rest of us don't. And uh, yeah, maybe there's something going on there. The other thing too is, you know, it's it's a very expensive camera. So, you know, the market is very limited and the people that are going to want to buy this camera are not necessarily the people that are that interested in a quick move to mirrorless. They're carrying the big lenses. I mean, these, these cameras are for sports and wildlife photographers and, and journalists and um, you know, I, I think that uh, you may be right there in thinking that uh, uh, for for this particular flagship model, it might make sense for this iteration to stay with the platform of the DSLR. And we may see some new and exciting high-end mirrorless camera um, be announced uh, before the 2020 Olympics as, as well. Um, but, you know, uh, one thing that all Nikon owners are uh, excited about is our XQD cards. For those who um, have cameras that use XQD cards, they're going to be um, uh, updated, so to speak, with uh, the CF Express card. And the CF Express card will have the same footprint as the XQD when they come out, which is probably um, early November, if not sooner. Uh, Nikon and any other manufacturer that uses XQD cards, and there are not too many at, at right now. Um, we'll issue a firmware upgrade and we'll be able to pop one of these um, CF Express cards into our camera and notice immediately that they're three times faster than the XQD card, which was fast to begin with. Um, prices have not gone up and there have been 12 manufacturers committed to the new um, the new platform of, of CF Express. So the prices will stay down. Right now, it's just Sony that's making these XQD cards, and they're expensive. So, you know, that's a kind of an added advantage. Um, uh, one thing in terms of the specs, the future speed possibility, um, and I had in my notes somewhere uh, something like 8 gigs a second, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. which is, you know, the equivalent of 160 
frames per second of <laughs> your 45 megapixels Z7 or or D850. So, um, you know, I, I, it just sort of says that the future in terms of the development of both video and camera is not going to be held back uh, by the speed of the cards. Yeah, I'm... Uh... I have mixed feelings. I like what are you going to do with all those pictures of the same thing? <laughs> I mean, okay, in in some very niche areas, uh, and like I appreciate speed. Uh, you know, I do family photography too, and I need a bit of speed. But uh, really, it's like, and then once I download all those images, my my Lightroom crashes my my laptop anyway. So now I yes. need a new, you know, Mac Pro, which is God another mortgage. And then, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, plus, I need to run these on like a, a proper camera. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but you know, don't you know, don't mistake fun. the don't mistake the speed uh, potential for the actual frame rate because currently, I mean, you know, the cameras are are pretty fast. You know, eight nine frames per second, but 160 frames per second in the future. I mean, you're right. It's it's pretty scary. For, for video people, um, you know, 8K, 16K, I don't know where it's going to end. It's not going to end. Yeah, so maybe so maybe for video too, you know, like, yeah, we're, it, it's all interesting. I, I, like, it's all a question of niche markets, though. So it's really like depends, uh, depends who you are and what you're, what you're after, right? I think that I'm really passionate about, like, that should be your starting point. Right? I know we do get excited about technology, but really take a step back and think, you know, what is my goal? What am I really passionate about doing? And then find the technology that, that suits your needs. Yeah, and I think people react to the technology. I mean, we've been doing this long enough to know that, you know, when Photoshop first came out, people were experimenting with all the crazy filters and creating, you know, in 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 uh, finger quotes art using the pro post processing software. Um, uh, you know, when autofocus first began, you know, sports photographers were, oh my God, this is fantastic, and then, oh my God. You know, anyone could do this now. But the reality was that the best sports photographers that had the skill of manually focusing fast moving subjects, and that's not an easy skill. And some people had a bigger talent for it than others. Suddenly, you know, that was eliminated and anyone could get sharp, fast moving images. But when I looked at the landscape during that time, I saw that the best sports photographers moving to the new technology, their images were still above that of you know lesser photographers so it really you know as we saw with robert frank and fred Herzog, it's really about the vision so if there's a camera that's built into our glasses that shoots 160 frames per second at 45 megapixels you know a robot could go out and and photograph but it's you know what you're going to say and the single image that you pick out of all those images i mean that's still still going to have the power you know, dare I say, yep. like a hundred years from now. Yeah. So it's a good, uh, good to link that back to our, you know, how we open this podcast. Because what would Robert Frank have done with a sixty-four gigabyte memory card? Would he have got the same kind of pictures, or would he never even have been what he was? And it, mm -hmm. the same question goes for all those, you know photographers that we admire who noticed and appreciated and captured the moment and the, the decisive moment and the thoughts that they put into thinking 
what is the decisive moment here? What could it be? Um, not to mention the, the pleasure that they would have got from that process, but also would they even have been around if they were using this kind of technology or would it have been completely different? Yeah, I, I you know it's a very good point. And I would say to you that it would have been a very similar take. It would have been easier. It would have been faster, but you still had to schlep to all those places over two years, be there, spend the time, and wait for the moment. Whether he was holding his Leica film camera or his brand new Z7 at the time, um, not a lot would be different. I mean, maybe some missed opportunities would not have been missed. Um, but in the end, you know, it, it does technology um, make us uh, uh, um, stronger in terms of uh, the work that we're able to, that we're, we're compelled to kind of want to make. Um, I think it allows more people to enter into that uh, area and see what they can do with it. But I really suspect it, it would have, you know, not been all that different. And it also, in my mind, um, in looking at, you know, how uh, people like Fred Herzog used to work, uh, very challenging. So I'm sure there were many images that he 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 wanted to get that he didn't get because mm -hmm. the shutter speed was too slow and you know it just you didn't have the instant review on the back of the camera. You had to wait two weeks for the Kodachrome to come back from the Kodak mothership before you could uh, see it. So yeah, interesting. interesting. Yeah, ever ever the optimist Steve Simon, <laughs> ever the cynic Steve Attard. <laughs> Exactly. Well, hey, let's move on. Speaking of potential cynicism, um, there was an article that we saw, and you're a family photographer. Um, what do you make about the uh, Los Angeles Times piece on this new uh, genre of um, delivery room photography? I mean, Everyone knows the power of or the, the, the importance of photography to document, you know, our own lives. But now um, there's a whole new uh, sort of tributary from wedding photographer uh, to sort of delivery photographer. Um, hmm. Did you read that piece, Steve? Yes, and I've been kind of following the development of this for a while. I think there are shifting trends in terms of just people being more open to sharing, right? There, there's definitely that trend in new generations of uh, people who are brought up in the sharing age uh, who are now um, starting families. You know, people who are having kids today were brought up with Facebook. So um, there's definitely shifting trends, but I think I've seen it really still as a niche. A lot of people aren't aren't really still willing to, to do that. But there's been definitely a trend for documentary photography, right? Like well, documentary commercial, so documentary wedding photography, photojournalistic wedding photography, documentary family photography, um, as opposed to your uh, so-called traditional photography or um, even, just a even just lifestyle type photography. Uh, and so if you're going to document your story as a family, uh, any story begins with the introduction with the opening of this is how the family well maybe even even before that um so you know the birth is a key milestone in your family story and um photography has always been about well big part of photography has always been about storytelling um yeah. so and from a commercial perspective 
I've seen a lot of photographers try to sell this package because it's it's quite profitable. You know, it's mm -hmm. uh, it's a whole day's work. It's a big package. You're on standby, um, and you know, it allows you to charge thousands of dollars for a photography service as opposed to the race to the bottom that you have in many of your other products. So there is a need to differentiate and to find different ways of of uh, value, different ways of charging more, but also adding value. Yeah. So, and there are very little storytelling opportunities like outside of the wedding. Um, yeah. And the BERT is one of those kind of key events that potentially for, for photographers they can capitalize on. Um, but I think there's still limited, uh, limited demand uh, or restricted, you know, demand uh, for yes. this kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised to see, um, as you mentioned, uh, in Los Angeles, they're charging, uh, according to the article, between 1500 to more than $4,000, which sort of makes sense because, you know, I guess the photographer has to be on call. Things aren't always planned out. Um, I mean, I remember, you know, back in the day, uh, there was a photographer, a great photographer called Brian Lanker, um, who won a Pulitzer Prize for a birthing series that he sort of documented in black and white that ran in the newspaper. And, I mean, of course, you know, we've been populating for you know a very long time, but that was a bit of a groundbreaking essay in that uh, we never really saw that before and really since that time. So when this came out, I was kind of, okay, it kind of makes sense. I mean, it was maybe controversial at the time to to publish this for public consumption but for your own sort of family and you know one of the mentors that i always cite is eugene richards great photographer i took a workshop with him and um at the workshop he was selling some of his work and one of the the image that i bought of his um was a brand new mother who had just given birth and was hugging this newborn baby tears streaming from her eye it was a very powerful image um and no question uh you know it's photographers are there to you know look for you know images that are powerful and you know very few things are are, are more powerful than than this it's such a life-changing thing i was surprised though to see that you know scheduled c-sections were even covered how do you exactly mm -hmm. do that Mm. Uh, yeah, so uh, there is a difference, though, between whether it's a photo of your family or, or someone else's. I think it's fundamentally different. So there's an artistic view on capturing those moments that are so universal, so personal, that become so universal. And that's different. But, uh, you know, if a client of mine, you know, wants to do this, for me, it's like my passion is is being there to to capture the, you know, the moments that are important to my client and whether it's going to be the birth or the wedding or the, you know, birthday party, it's less important than being able to be there and to do that for someone. So everybody values things differently. And, you know, the role of maybe the, the commercial photographer is less to, I mean, less to choose the subject in a way, but more to choose like the client uh, if, if that makes sense like as opposed to doing something you know as a passionate amateur photographer i think we get to be much more discretionary so i would like i've never done it as a family photographer but like i would be really honored to you know if that's something that the client wants it would be an incredible honor to be able to give that to them 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. And for anyone that's interested in capturing sort of real moments, real people, real life, uh, it's a natural kind of uh, um, transition if you're doing wedding photography, capturing these, you know, this very important day um, to then do something like this, maybe with, you know, the couple that you were there for their wedding and there you're there for the birth of their, their children. Um, you know, it, it makes sense. What surprises me a little is um, the what all the hoops that have to be uh, jumped in order to, you know, get permission to be in a hospital setting as a photographer to do this. And I'm I'm actually hardened by the fact that uh, it's even allowed. Uh, not surprising, California might be the first place that this would hmm. start from. But, you know, because it's 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 often very restrained. The last thing you need in there is, you know, some person with a camera but uh it's good i'm i'm, I'm glad it's happening um yeah. i'll just transition steve over uh we're hitting the end toward the end of our podcast here i just want to talk briefly from a technical perspective uh, new iphones are announced uh news or not i mean for me um you know when an iphone comes out in the past uh you know i i have been an early adopter and then i get the new iphone and I load the same operating system I had in the the old iPhone, and it's very kind of uh, not that exciting because I had all those features in my old iPhone. Maybe it looks a little different. Maybe there's a feature here or feature there. But I think as people interested in photography, as our podcast listeners and ourselves are, uh, it's the camera. It's all about the camera. Do you upgrade? Well, what's the camera? Is it worth upgrading for the camera? Um, what do you think uh, of this new upgrade? Yeah, I think we're going to see less like hardware updates and more like software intelligence. So really, bring we're beginning to see AI, artificial intelligence, come into um, the the mobile device and uh, and especially in this new iPhone upgrade into the camera. So with with the new new iPhone, you basically press the shutter button and it just takes one long exposure and within a split second the ai engine will fuse all that data together and pick what it believes to be the best photo among them and it goes through all the pixels from the long exposure um, to optimize the detail and the noise and all those aspects for the single selected image and the only way it can do that is through artificial intelligence because in the back end it's going through all the photos that are out there you know to learn what is a what is the kind of photo in this situation that you want and what is the kind of exposure and all that so it's in there are incredible innovations below the hood that are really just not going to be seen in the same way as the hardware innovations that we used to see, like or the big ticket headline item, like number of megapixels or like front and rear camera and all that stuff. So like incredibly yeah. exciting, especially to kind of tie it into what we discussed of, you know, oh Nikon launched the D6. Like this is this is innovation on a like different scale. That's um going to continue to capture the imagination and the excitement of the the consumer audience in ways that the camera manufacturers just you know aren't yeah there's no doubt when you look to apple.com and check out uh, the sample imagery that describes some of these new features 
you can't help but be impressed. Obviously, I don't know um, who they hired to do it, um, but uh, probably people we know. It's a great gig. Uh, the 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 um, fact that this camera will have now three separate cameras, if you will, three separate lenses, an ultra-wide, a wide, and a telephoto, and with all the software innovation that you described, is going to open up new avenues. The night mode looks really impressive when you look at the sample images. And I have to say, this anyone who loves black and white, this high-key mono black and white, um, what it potentially can do to your portraits of people um, can be really beautiful. So, you know, we've already seen how the iPhone is making an impact uh, in the professional world. Uh, a lot of Instagram people using iPhones exclusively, a lot of people understanding that, yes, you can use this camera in a serious way. It is about Robert Frank Fred or Zach, more about <laughs> what you want to say with the camera. The camera's just a tool. And it's got its advantages. It's built into the phone. It's small. It's quiet. You can share immediately. And I think, um, you know, I myself um, use it often in lieu of a pocket camera. I'm still waiting for a sort of a shirt pocketable camera that will incentivize me to take it and use it instead of the iPhone for this kind of thing. Um, not there. I haven't seen one yet. Um, and video. I mean, I use this for video. They're they're making it easier to sort of edit for video, to access or to start the video clip. Um, you know, it's a shotgun. It's it's a shotgun sound to to all the traditional camera manufacturers every time a new iPhone or mm. Samsung or all these other cameras, uh, all this innovations coming out to sort of. Man, they got to be on their toes because yep. uh, there may come a time when when it just is no longer necessary uh, for the advanced features on our the cameras that we use every day. Yeah, the 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 time is coming. I mean, they're selling this iPhone primarily as a pro camera. Like if you you know, they're not selling it as a phone or uh, as a, a br internet browser. Uh, it's being sold as a camera, and that's makes it very clear as to where all this is going. Yeah. Hey, Steve, um, the Vancouver Street Collective, just to make a hard transition from the iPhone, <laughs> um, is having an opening tonight uh, for an exhibition that you're involved in. I, you know, listeners know of your passion for street photography photography in general, but tell us a little bit about this um, collective and, and what's happening in Vancouver. Yeah, so it's really exciting how this developed. Um, we're a group of around 30 for street photographers in Vancouver who came together on Instagram. We just started um, liking and following each other and created a chat group and eventually um, uh, this Van City Street Collective was formed, and it, it, this weekend we're opening our first um, collaborative exhibition. Um, and we all met yesterday. Most of us met for the first time. Uh, we brought our prints and and we be began hanging them up together. And it was a beautiful experience. Say, oh hi, you know, I'm Steve. Oh, oh what's your Instagram handle? Is it because that's how we knew each other? But we all came together and. Um, Really, for the first time in our city, in Vancouver, there is a, you know, street photography exhibition from a, a collective of amateur street photographers. And it's 
super cool because I think it's something anybody can do in any city around the world, right? True, just by going out there and um, engaging with other street photographers in your area and then pitching in, you know, to be able to hire a space and, and do all this, that would be nearly impossible to do on your own, but with 20 other people, it becomes totally feasible. And so now once everything's printed and everything's hung up on the wall, it's just so exciting to to see that, you know, even, even if, if we're the only people who turn up, it would just be so much fun to be there with a group of, of other street photographers. How unusual and weird it is to see actual humans behind the Instagram handles. Uh, but as you mentioned, um, no substitute for real life and you know especially prescient uh, this week um, when you know such a iconic uh, and inspiring uh, Vancouver photographer Fred Herzog uh, passes away uh, I'm sure he'll be in uh, the discussions uh, when you guys get together um, and and just lastly on on your your exhibition you know the idea of finally seeing your images in print it's a whole other communication you know different from the screen and arguably and potentially more powerful if that print really is is beautiful it it kind of reminded me there's a photographer i know in new york who who grew up really poor in brazil and he said for the first like nine years of his life he didn't even have shoes and he said that his relationship to the earth by having his bare feet touching the ground for those years was very different from kind of most of us in terms of uh, being able to afford uh, footwear from the beginning. Um, it's a whole different, potentially potentially different experience when you see these images uh, and really get a chance to study them in print, isn't it? Yes, the entire process of uh, printing your work, starting from taking a closer look at how you've cropped it, how you've edited it, uh, to engaging with the community, um, uh, you know, uh, presenting your just presenting your work to a printer and and talking about it and getting it ready and deciding how how big do you want to print it, how big do you want to frame it, um, which are the kind of images that you want you want to print, and if you have multiple images, which ones are going to go together. So that level of engagement with your work brings a different dynamic and a different perspective, and then. Really, when you see it in print, it's a completely different dimension to when you see it on the screen. And not only because of the colors, the contrast, um, but also because it's seen. It's not buried anymore. And it's seen by your family or or it's seen by strangers at an exhibition or peers. Um, it's it's not easy <laughs> emotionally <laughs> to go through that experience. But uh, uh, if I were to end this podcast on what would one note lesson or tip it would be print one of your photographs print it and get it framed and what you do with it after that it's fine a few people will see it or a lot of people but go through the process it will um give you a fresh perspective on on your photography and a lot of lessons to be gained well that's that's uh, great advice and just one thing i would say you know having had you know a few exhibitions in my life uh, just like sort of likes on, on Instagram, um, don't have any expectations when strangers come and confront your image 
and then quickly move on to the next one or don't spend any time. Others will maybe spend some time. Don't read anything into that. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's got the potential to kind of take you down a little bit. But uh, no, I'm, congratulations to you guys. It's, it's such a great thing that you're doing this. And you guys, uh, I'm sure, are going to be inspiring and helping your, each other. You know, every week, um, or sorry, every podcast, uh, we try and give you some sort of tip or nugget. And uh, I appreciate your tip, Steve. For me, just sort of maintaining this theme, um, I would recommend uh, a beautiful book by Fred Herzog called Modern Color. I'm holding it in my hands now. It's a very substantial book. Uh, it really is um, a set of very beautiful and inspiring pictures that uh, really kind of makes me want to get out there with my camera um, and just, you know, say my own thing uh, in my own environment where I'm at. I, I think, you know, that's the lesson. We got to get out there and shoot. I mean, we have to make time for it. I mean, we just have to make time for it. You know, if you made an hour once a week in 52 weeks, you'd have 52 hours worth of materials. And within that, I guarantee you, you're going to have something to really get excited about as a photographer. So that's it uh, for this week. Um, where can people find you, Steve, if they want to sort of find out more information or potentially hire you to uh, cover the birth of their child? <laughs> well, I charge, what is it, $4,000 a birth. Yes, so, U.S. dollars, uh, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, that goes much further here. So uh, please come and say hi on Instagram uh, at Satard Photo, S-A-T-T-A-R-D, photo or uh, come and check out the Van City Street Collective at Van City Street Collective and see what we're doing and maybe it will inspire you to do something in your local area. And I'm Steve Simon. You can find uh, my stuff on thepassionatephotographer.com and there you'll be able to see my portfolio, find out about my book and uh, the workshops that I do of which there's a lot of exciting ones coming up including New York City in October. Very much looking forward to Japan in November. Uh, you were on one of those Japan excursions. I know you would want to come back, Steve. I would love to come back someday, and I would recommend it more than anything. It's an incredible experience going to any of your workshops, but in New York or in Tokyo, in one of these bustling cities, it doesn't get any better for street photography. I appreciate that, Steve. And the uh, check is in the mail or the Vemo has been transferred. <laughs> and uh, with that, um, let's just end this podcast and we'll look forward uh, to the next one. In the meantime, great shooting, everybody. <laughs>